to have in our hearts we would not fail you but Lord we know you never fail we know your children are always protected and hedged in by your grace and your mercy Lord and you have always there for us strengthen us Father that we might not fail thee but in a world that's gone crazy in a world that's gone sinful and evil we pray that your mercy will endure forever on your children Tonight, in a special way, remember our saints, especially those living in Washington. Lord, remember Brother Preston and his assembly, and remember the saints in, in the United States that would be affected by these political upheaval and unsettling situations, Father. We pray you'll cover your people. Tonight, we pray for those that are affected by COVID-19 that, O oh God, you would work on your people's behalf, forgive us of our transgressions, and heal our diseases, Father. We praise, we give you thanks tonight, and we ask your blessing on this service. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen and amen. This past weekend, we did a lot of preaching, 
regarding the kingdom of God. And when I said it was the tip of the iceberg, I really meant it was the tip of a vast message on the resurrection. If I were to talk just about the mortality of mankind, that would be a subject by itself. If I were to talk on the resurrection and the phases of the resurrection, uh, that will be a subject that will take an entire service and maybe more than one services because we'll have to deal with um, the frailty of mankind, the need for a change of body. We'll talk about uh, the, uh, the promises that God made for man that uh, he would be receiving a new body and he would uh, possibly have the opportunity of becoming an immortal And then we talk about the kingdom of God, and that by itself, there are different phases of the kingdom. And I know we cannot cover all of these messages in in one service, but it is important that when you hear a lesson like this, you go and search your Bible and uh, use your concordance and see if you can find areas that will enlighten you further on. And the most important thing with these lessons is that I'm not, it is not my intention just to fill your head with knowledge. It is my purpose, and I hope that God would at least touch a few people, that these messages will touch your heart and direct your steps, that in the midst of this ungodly world, you can live godly. Uh, Paul made that statement in Philippians, the second chapter, and I'll just turn there briefly. In Philippians, the second chapter, uh, he made a statement like this. He says, uh, do all things, verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. And we live in a world where there is murmurings and disputings. And I pray that as I preach the gospel to those listening to me, that he that had ears to hear might hear. And he that had eyes to see might see. And if for some reason you don't see or understand or comprehend what I preach, and you're just rejecting whatever I say, that's up to you. It's okay. It's okay for a blind person not to see. And you might turn that around and say, this brother saying maybe you're blind. Well, probably that is so. I don't, but nobody believes And that's uh, the same with religion. We always, we are all feeling we are all right. But there's a God that judges righteous judgment. And when the kingdom of God is established, that's the kind of judgment Jesus will initiate. uh, Like we read in Isaiah, the 11th chapter, Uh, he will judge with uh, the poor, with equity, with proper judgment. And so we're looking forward for the kingdom of God And it is something that I anticipate and I hope that God will lead us into. So here Paul is writing, he says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless. That you might be blameless. And someone says, "Um, what do you think of what's going on in America? Well, I am thinking is that I hope God's children don't get politically involved and affects their spiritual growth and development. That's what I think. I cannot stop one government taking over from another government. I cannot stop corruption in government. I've seen some of that in my own life. I've seen elections rig and elections handle fair. I don't know. I'm not God. I'm just saying what the politics out there should not affect our Christian life. That we, as we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Now, if my prime minister is not a Christian and he is just a nominal Christian, I cannot expect him to follow the commandments of God like God expects me to follow. What the Lord says, he that knoweth to do the master's will and doeth it not. He that knoweth, like you and I, we claim we know it. He that knoweth to do the master's will and doeth it not shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knoweth not the master's will and doeth it not shall be beaten with few stripes. 
So you and I that have been given much, much is required. And that is where Jesus taught a lot of parables. And one of the popular parables that he taught was the parable of the talents. Uh, when he gave talents to individuals. Um, in Matthew chapter 25, I'm coming back to Philippians, the second chapter. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his servants and delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents. He gave one five talents, and to the other he gave two talents, and to the other he gave one. So it says, and he that had the five talents went and traded them, and he came back with five extra talents, so he had ten. The one with two talents, he gained two more talents, and so he got four. The one with one talent, he decided he just had one talent, so he don't need to use it up. He buried it. The point here to be considered is, how much of the talent that God gave you have you invested Right? We can interpret this the way we want. But the one that had one talent, he did not use up the one. He buried it. And the master said, you know that I sold, I, I, uh, the one that was afraid and went and hid his talent. Verse 26, his Lord answered and said unto him, thou wicked and slothful servant. Thou knowest that I reap where I sow not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, then at my coming, I would have had mine own with interest. And so what I'm saying here, as I'm getting back to second in Philippians, the second chapter, is that he that is given much, much is required. If the Lord give you a talent and you fail to use, if you were given 10 talents, for example, and you use eight talents, then you only used up 80%. In the world and the eyes of those around you, they will think you're a great guy because you're using eight talents in comparison to a man that had one. But if that man that had one talent had used his single one talent, percentage-wise, he would have received rewards greater than the man that used eight because he used a hundred percent. He gained one hundred percent of what the Lord invested into him. And so today, as you're following me uh, on this message or you're listening to this message, what has God invested in your life and what does he expect? If you're just a church member attending church and that's all you've been doing for the past many years, you're a good church member, you find your cozy church, uh, that is operating like a social club, or even if you find a real good church, holiness church. But your service to God is only dependent on your spare time or when you can afford that. You're not using up the, the, the re real purpose of the church. God is not successfully saving you. You're not yielding yourself to the Lord. And so here we are in a world and this world is evil all around us. There is evil all around us. And I don't expect the ungodly man to act godly. But I expect the children that are a part of this assembly. And they are branded as children of God or Christians. To let their light shine before men. That people might see their good works and glorify their father which is in heaven. We need a testimony. We need to maintain our testimony. We cannot be involved in argumentative when it comes to politics. We can be arguing politics. We can be arguing about sports. We can be so caught up in this world that God is not sitting as a priority in our lives. Children of God, I know we have problems. I know some of us have major problems. And I was telling someone yesterday that... Um, uh, I have individuals that have different kinds of problems. It's like a doctor. A doctor is a doctor simply because he is qualified to help people that are sick. If you're whole and you're strong and you're healthy, you don't need to see the doctor. But here I am, I have a church, and you might be a one with problems, and your problems might be different than somebody else with problems. 
My job is to preach the gospel and hope it's not just educating your brains and not reaching in to save your souls. My responsibility, I'm here for one purpose, to see that the word of God reach into your life and save your souls. You can memorize some Genesis right down to Revelation, but if it does not affect your life and you're not drawing closer to God, then it's a waste of my time and it's a waste of hearing the word of God. That is why Peter went on to say, he says, he says uh, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and ungodly appear? Peter made that statement. And I wonder why he said that. If the righteous, if the righteous scarcely be saved. And we have individuals out there in all kinds of religions, believing in all kinds of fantasies. But you can be sitting in Gospel Assembly Church and also have a fantasy mentality that you believe that you'll be in the bride of Christ and rule and reign with Christ when you live like the devil on this planet. You don't pray enough. You're not walking in godliness. Someone has a problem, you turn around and you want to kill the wounded. We don't do that in a warfare. In a warfare, we assist the wounded and take them to safety. And that is what the scripture teaches. So we need to shine as lights. And here uh, Paul is writing and he says that you may be blameless and harmless. Sons of God, not in full sonship, not in the totality of sonship, not in the, the fullness of sonship. He says, but in, uh, sons of God, adopted sons, and uh, sons that are being matured, uh, we can be without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are to shine as lights in this world. Uh, we cannot expect human government to be perfect in the present society that we live in. And when I think of whether it's American politics or I'm thinking of Canadian politics, uh, we're here. I'm a citizen of Canada. I'm proud to have a Canadian passport that I can travel around the world with. But I'll be greater, it'll be greater pride in my life to know that God has given me a spiritual passport that when I travel around, people can look at me and know I'm a citizen of a higher calling. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. That is important. And that is here in actually first chapter when the disciples, Jesus was ready to leave. And when he was about to depart, the disciples came to him and they asked him a question. And they said, I'm telling you tonight, human government, there is no human government that can be perfect. There is no human government that will ever govern the world perfectly. But it is God's government. And that's what we're thinking of. We're not fantasizing that when we all die, we all go to heaven and rule and reign with Christ. Rule over what? Who will rule? Some people believe that the entire church will be going up in the bride of Christ and we'll be ruling and reigning with Christ. Well, if everybody is ruling, who will be sitting down to let them rule over them? See, all these fantasies are Christian fantasies that we hold on to with no reality. But that's okay. If the Pharisee keeps on preaching to the Pharisees, let them alone, let them preach. Let the Baptist be a Baptist and let the Pentecostal be a Pentecostal and let the Gospel Assemblyite be a Gospel Assemblyite. Make yourself comfortable, but don't be so comfortable that you can't live godly. And so whether you're what, in from whatever denomination, live godly. That's important. Live godly. Don't feel superior. The moment you feel you're better than everyone else, you need to be saved. When a man draws closer to God, when Isaiah saw the Lord, he high and lifted up. The, the closer he got to seeing God is the worse he saw himself and needing God. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell among the people of unclean lips. And so Jesus was about to leave. And, and when he was about to leave, the disciples, they had a common, uh, common request and desire. Unlike today's Christian world, where everybody wants to go to heaven, 
the early church apostles wanted to get into the kingdom. That is why Jesus is called the King of Kings. That is why he has a kingdom. That is why the disciples pray, thy kingdom come. That is why David was promised a throne, that his descendant, his seed will sit on a throne. That is why in Jeremiah talks about Jerusalem in that day. Jerusalem shall be the throne of the Lord. That is why we were talking about on the weekend when we looked at Isaiah, when it says the Lord will rule and the seven spirits of God will be upon him. He will not judge according to the seeing of the eye or the hearing of the ear, but he will judge righteously. And there will be peace on the earth. Uh, the, the curse would be lifted and mankind would be serving God righteously. The Lord will be served righteously. And why they will not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, said the Lord, it's because the knowledge of God will be filling up their heads. Now, if the knowledge of God fills up your heads, it does not mean your heart is converted. That's the problem we have, a lack of conversion. Peter followed the Lord for three years, and then the Lord says, when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. He said to Peter, he says, Peter, I have prayed for you. He says, the devil desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And he told him uh, that, uh, that he prayed for him. And I believe that's why Jesus prayed so many times. You read the Bible over and over again, Jesus was praying. Why was he praying? Well, unlike me and you, he was not praying for, to save the world. He was praying for those of his children. Maybe he was praying for me. Maybe he was praying for you. Maybe down way back yonder, he says, Father, he says, sanctify them. And not only them, but the, those who would follow their words. Uh, we fall in line to be prayed for by the Lord Jesus. And so this is important that we understand that. So the early church apostles looked for it for a kingdom. And here they said to him, uh, they said, Lord, will thou at this time, verse 6, and when they were come together, Jesus was about to be taken up into heaven. And when they were come together, they asked him, Lord, will thou at this time take us to heaven? No. The early church did not anticipate going to heaven. That's a fantasy that 21st century and 20th century Christian churches are trying to promote. And I don't know who started it, but somebody's promoting heaven. And we sing that song when we all get to heaven. And you know what? The bride of Christ will be in heaven for a short time. But he, they will come back on this earth. And there will be a kingdom established on this earth. And so Jesus said, they said, Lord, will thou restore again the kingdom to Israel? And they, they're asking a question here, like if they don't really know. And they really did not know. You know, there was a thief on the cross. There were two thieves when Jesus was crucified. And one thief was an unconverted thief that he learned, turned to Jesus and says, If you be the Son of God, come down from the cross, save yourself and save us. The second thief, I would like to conclude, was not an ignorant thief. He was a child of God that did a wrong thing. He stole and got caught. Because he turned and asked the Lord, made a request to Jesus that the early church apostles here in Acts chapter 1 did not understand. So this second, second thief look at Jesus and he says, Lord, he called him Lord. After rebuking the ungodly thief, this second thief said, Lord, remember me that when you go up to heaven, I can come up with you. Now, he said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Now, I don't know what the translators did with all of that, but the question was, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Now, here's the fact. The fact is, this thief believed in the resurrection of the dead. He knew when they were all over, he'll be dead, Jesus will be dead, and the other thief would be dead. But why was he asking for the Lord to come back? He not only knew he was going to be dead, 
but he knew Jesus will be resurrected and Jesus will go up to his father and he will come back to establish the kingdom of God on this earth. And his request was, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Very plain. You see, the Bible is a beautiful book. But these individuals that are deceived by somebody's doctrine that passed on to them that all you got to do is go to heaven and shine stars and play harps. That's not what the Bible promises. There'll be a kingdom on this earth. And that is why when I look at a political situation in the country, I have hope because there will be a kingdom established. We talked about that on Sunday uh, when the promise was made to, to Mary and the promise was made to David, uh, saying that God will raise up his seed after him who shall rule this world with a rod of iron. He will be sitting on the throne of David to govern the kingdom of God. And the nations of this earth shall flow into that kingdom. And they will all come in subjection to the kingdom of God. And we don't have time in one service to show you, but one nation after the other uh, will, be, will be converted. Kings will stand in, in, in attention when they see Jesus returning to this earth. And so the disciple says, Lord, they asked the question that the thief understood. And they said, uh, well, when you come, would you restore the kingdom? Is it now that you're going to give us this kingdom? And Jesus told him, you know, he told him, well, he could have said, well, you all have been so long with me and you don't understand these things. Sometimes I want to say that to, to people that's been following me, literally, for many years and still don't understand basic things. And so uh, here I am uh, on this planet. What are you going to do? Uh, sometimes you feel like this morning I got up. And listen to me, Lila, I got 20 minutes. This morning, I, I lay in my bed. But during that period of time, while I'm sitting there, I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I looked at my library in my study and all those books piled up there. And there are a lot of books. And some I've never touched from the time they were given to me. Six volumes on Ephesians. Never touched. I looked at... Uh, I looked at Strong's uh, theological books. I look at um, all of these great books and, and commentaries. I looked at all of them there and I said, why don't I, when I want to find out something, just go there and get my message so I can come and preach. And my policy is, if you didn't use it for a year, get rid of it. And as I lie there and I said, if I die tonight of a heart attack, and God takes my life, what will my family have to do with all these books? And the thought struck me how important it is to prepare for death. Now, if you're listening to me tonight and you don't have a document prepared that just in case you die, you have a document that tells that is legalized, that's a legal document to show what you want done with your body, you need to be a smarter Christian. Isn't that sweet? I didn't say a dumb Christian. I said you need to be a smarter Christian. Don't be so heavenly minded that you become no, or you don't experience an earthly reality. Every person that owns a property and has some possessions need to have a will. I'm not telling you about praying to see if you should have one. If you own earthly possessions and you have a family, you need to have a will, not one you write while you're having coffee with somebody, one that's legal and stamped. You need a legal document. You need to eliminate clutter. Do you know when you see something and the world we're living in is so such a ridiculous world that all you got to do is go on Amazon, log in, and order. Anything that don't be of use, you see something on television, order it. Order, 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 order. I told this church, we're living in a crisis period, save your money. That's right, save your money. As a gentleman, I think he is a gentleman. That's about to have status. 
But he has a wife, I think three kids. He lives in Haiti somewhere. And he has to have status in Canada. And he wrote and he said, can you please lend me? He needs $3,900 US to finish the application. They approve him. He just needs the money to take it in this week. And he's asking, is there, can you get someone to lend me $1,000? I already have $2,900. I just need $1,000 more. You know what? I think of that man, and I think a person trying to get away from Haiti and run out from a country where economically it's not a good place to raise your family. I think I try to help that man. Well, how can I help him if I'm busy shopping until I'm dropping? There are people around the world in foreign countries that need help. There are people that is barely able to make life. And we squander our money on non-essentials. We need to see what's coming on the world and start thinking about it. When I told this church some time ago that you should have three months of, of mortgage payments or rent put away just in case you lose your job, if you're not pursuing that, you're just a hearer of the word and not a doer. What do you think I'm doing here? Preaching. What do you think Isaiah did when he came into, uh, when he was writing, talk, speaking to Israel? He was preaching. Somebody copied it down and made I made a book out of it called the book of Isaiah, but he didn't walk with a book. He had no book. He was preaching a literal message. And the message I'm preaching to you right now is a literal message, and you need to take it seriously because we need to think about the age we're living in and what's happening. Be prepared for the worst in your life. It'd be a sad thing if I die and Sister Chandra, you don't know what to do with my documents and my paper. Oh, I have a will, but I have a lot of clutter. You don't need to hoard. Hoarding is a sickness. Go on the internet. Go on, in, on, on this uh, medical site in the States. What is it, what is it called? Um, my Mayo Clinic. Go on the Mayo Clinic site and punch in hoarding. And you'll find that they're treating people that are hoarding. I buy it, put the, put the box aside. I got to buy something else. It's a demon after a while takes a hold of you. You don't need it. People around the world can do well with $5 if you give them. They're people that are in need. We're a child of God. You mean this is the kind of kingdom we'll establish and rule and reign with Christ? Rule doing what? To develop a sense of responsibility, it's to be done in the church so we can rule and reign with Christ. Otherwise, you're ruling over anything. So may God help us here today that we see the reality of our present crisis. You own a property? Get to a lawyer, make a document, so we can know what to do with you. Uh, what do we do when you're dead? See, Brother Joe is at the back. He's got a document he left with me in the office. It's a will. When he's dead, I, I haven't looked at it, Brother Joe. Isn't it surprising I didn't go and peek inside? No. Have it in the office, locked up in a box. When, if he looks like he's conking out, I got to go find out what that will says. Bury him, burn him, put him on a log and sail him off in Lake Ontario. I don't know what it says. I'll have to see what that will says, and then I'll do it. But if I go there and there's no will, and he dies and his family come and says, give us his body. You don't, I, this has happened before. Everyone, whether you own something or you don't own, you need a document. It's responsibility. Remember, I preached a message, the prudent man forsake the evil and hide himself. This world needs a transformation, and it will not happen if we can't get a staff that is qualified to help Christ in the government of this world. When he comes back to establish the kingdom, every member in the bride of Christ would have a sense of responsibility. They know how to make a decision that's right. 
and correct. And so the disciples are all looking far for a kingdom. And while they were looking, Jesus got taken away and, and he was gone. He told them to go for the Holy Ghost. And while they were looking steadfastly into heaven, verse 10 says, And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Two angels appeared. And these angels said, You man of Galilee, why stand you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus which you see taken up in heaven shall come in like manner as you see him go into heaven. You see him go up into the heavens. Well, as you see him go, he will come again in like manner. And one day Jesus will return. And when he returns, he will return to establish God's kingdom on this earth. There are a few comings of Christ. He came, that was his first coming. He's coming back in a moment, like we said in the last service, that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, uh, at the last trump, when the seventh trumpet sound, uh, he will come and his bride will be taken away. And then he'll return with all of his angels and his bride, like Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Uh, scripture does say he's coming back. And every eye shall see him. And they which hurt him shall also see him. Over in, 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 in Zechariah, have your Bibles with you. I've got 10 minutes, but it's a good uh, 10 minutes that we've got. In Zechariah, the 14th chapter of Zechariah, and I'm, I'm finding it here uh, while I'm searching for it. Uh, get yourself ready to go with me here in Zechariah, the uh, 14th chapter, right down to the end of your Old Testament. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, Zechariah is a beautiful book, a lot of stuff. It has a lot of stuff. Uh, it talks about Jesus in chapter 3 upon one branch. He's called the branch here in chapter 3. Oh, it says he's called a branch in verse uh, 9, 8. The last part of verse 8 is he's called the servant, the branch. And behold, the stone that I've laid before Joshua, uh, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Now you figure that out. Some of these things are deep stuff. And you figure it out. And it comes down here in chapter 14. Uh, there are so many little areas of this book that is good to read. In uh, chapter 13, it tells us, oh my gosh, I, I need time to get into all of this. Uh, in, chapter, in chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Behold, I make Jerusalem a cup of tremble, trembling unto all nations. There's coming a time when the nation of Israel will turn to God, accept the Lord in their life, and uh, they will become a cup of trembling. Uh, but before, uh, before they accept the Lord, they will have to go through a period of suffering. Uh, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the kingdom today. And so they, it tells us that Jerusalem in verse chapter 12 and verse 2 will become a cup of trembling or poison to every nation around it. It says in that day, verse 3, Will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone? You see, there's coming something called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Remember that statement. The day of the Lord. And here in chapter 13, it says in that day. You see, it's the day of the Lord. Uh, there shall be a fountain open up to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Right now it's not there. There's not a fountain open up in Israel right now for sin and uncleanness. But the Lord, he says here in chapter 12 and verse 10, he says, and I will pour upon the house of David. Uh, verse uh, 12, 10, it says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and the spirit of grace and of supplication. There will be a spirit to weep and mourn uh, that God will pour upon the nation of Israel. That's not happening right now. They're an arrogant, uh, self-righteous, uh, Christ-haters right now. But there's coming a time when that spirit will be changed. <clears throat> it says, and they that they shall look upon me. How shall they look upon me? Well, Jesus has to return for them to look upon him. They shall look upon me, maybe not literally, but consider him. A whom they have pierced, they killed him. A whom they have peace, and whom, and they shall mourn for him as one mourning for his own son. There's coming a time when Israel will turn to God and ask God to forgive them for destroying Jesus uh, 2,000 years ago. 
And they shall be in bitterness for him as one as in, in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day, that's that day. We're talking about that day. Uh, there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadadarimon in the valley of Midagon. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart. Everyone will mourn in that land. I'm running through some scriptures here, but when it's all done, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. And the Lord says, In that day there shall be a fountain open up in the house of David for sin and, uh, for sin and uncleanness. And it shall come to pass uh, in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the, end, the names of idols out of the land. There's coming a time when idolatry will be eliminated out of Jerusalem. There's coming a time when God will judge the Jews. And the ungodly element of the Jews would be eliminated. It says here in verse 7, uh, chapter 13, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord. It says, verse 8, And it shall come to pass in all the land, saith the Lord, two-thirds, two parts thereof shall be cut off and die, and a third part shall be left therein. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Remember, there's scriptures that says two shall be in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. Taken where? In a rapture? No. Taken in death. As it was in the days of Noah, those that the flood came and took them all away. Well, even so in death shall individuals be taken away from the land and only the righteous. Because that day Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord. It will be righteous people living in Jerusalem. And it goes on here and it says in verse... Um, in verse uh, uh, 9, and I will bring the third part through the fire. The nation must be cleansed. Those that are left in Jerusalem must be saved. You and I are going through our fire right now. We need trials. We need testings. Count it not strange concerning the fiery trial, Peter says, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. We need the fire today to save us. But Jerusalem and the Jews need the fire to save them. They're not saved today. Don't get carried away with the Jews and you want to act like one. No, they need to be saved. They need to be saved. And when that has happened, and the Lord says, uh, I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. There's coming a time when the Jews will say that. Not now. But it's coming a time. And then it says, behold that day, the day of the Lord cometh. Chapter 14, verse 1. Thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. The Lord says, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Uh, he says, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. Sorry to be rushing through this. It says, then shall the Lord, verse 3, go forth to fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. That's when Michael shall stand up. When Jesus takes his battle name and stands up as the line of the tribe of Judah. And war on behalf of Israel. And here's the beautiful part. I went all those scriptures just to rush to verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day in the Mount of Olives. There's coming a day. As he went up from the Mount of Olives. And the disciples saw him. The angel says he shall come in like manner as you see him go. He shall come back to the Mount of Olives. And he would stand up there. And he will, bring, he will bring justice in the land. He will bring salvation to the land. He'll bring deliverance to the land. And so when we think of that, I'm looking forward for the day of the Lord that will come. A beautiful when he comes back to establish God's kingdom on this earth. That's what the Bible promises. I'm sorry that we don't have enough time. But Isaiah chapter 35 has a beautiful, I think that's the scripture I want. In Isaiah chapter 35, it tells us that when the Lord will come, that barren wasteland uh, that the Jews are living in, that they're trying their best to, to cultivate it, it tells us what will happen to that barren land. It says the wilderness, chapter 35, verse 1, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall, shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. The curse would be lifted. The curse will be lifted. 
The desert is not going to be a barren wasteland anymore. It shall blossom as a rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing the glory of Lebanon, the forest, a spirit, the, the attitude, uh, the, the desert will look like Lebanon, the forest of Lebanon shall be given to it and the excellency of Carmel and Sharon and they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of God. And so what do you do? Strengthen the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Amen. I'm going to leave that for now. I'm coming back here. So when the thief asked the Lord, uh, remember me, uh, the Lord says, verily I say unto you. Now the King James translator said, verily I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. What the man has to do with paradise? You see, Jesus, the, geez, paradise day was really the kingdom. He didn't want to go that day. He says, when you come back with your kingdom. When you're coming back, he knew it believing and he'd be coming back. He said, remember me. So what the translators done, they put a comma in the wrong place. What Jesus really said, he says, he says, um, he says, I say unto you, verily, verily, I say unto you, thou shalt today, verily, 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 I say unto you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise, or you will be with me in the kingdom. And the promises of God are like that forever. Can I give you one last scripture? It's not one last scripture. There's so many scriptures. But I think I'll take one to close the service off tonight. Uh, Peter walks, Peter warns of this. A terrible day for the world, but a glorious day for God's children. A terrible day for the ungodly. When the elements shall melt with fervent heat, as Peter says. He says, the day of the Lord come. When the elements shall melt with fervent heat. What did Peter understand, this unlearned and ignorant fisherman? Well, I'll tell you what made him different. The Holy Ghost in his life made him different. He understood the promises of God, not like the preachers today understand it. Preachers today are living in a fantasy. Peter understood that it's a terrible day that is coming upon the world. Malachi wrote the fourth chapter and tell you about that terrible day when this earth shall be, uh, the ungodly will be burnt up and few men left. Malachi 4. You got the time, I got the message. Can't get into all of that. But at the end of your Bible, in Revelation, the 21st chapter, it says here, it closes off this entire uh, book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, it almost closes off the Bible. It says, and John said, I see a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. See, that's what Peter said uh, in his epistle. He says, in that day the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. Peter said, uh, in chapter 3 of Second Peter, he says, In that day the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the element shall melt with fervent heat. Uh, he, see, the Lord is, is destroying the old system and restoring it. This world is dying. The planet is dying, waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. That is why we can't fail as a church. That is why you got to make your mind up to live for God now. The church is to provide Jesus with a staff that will govern with him for a thousand years, not a bunch of jokers to govern. Now, we are here to get prepared. When I preach the word of God, you need to go out and live it. When I say make documents, you need to go out and find out how you can get your documents made. If you can't do that, you will sleep a thousand years and come up in the final resurrection and hope to God you get saved then. You might ask the Lord for a few more years than 1,000. Because you're so accustomed to sleeping out your life. Don't, don't be like that. Come on, get with it. Let's live for God. Let be, let's be overcomers. And Peter talks about it. He says in verse 13, Nevertheless, we according to his promise, the promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. We're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. When this whole system, the heavens would be cleansed from the ungodly, 
a spiritual element of Satan and his angels. And the earth will be cleansed from human government and the corruption that exists in human government. And Christ will come to rule and reign. The Prince of Peace and the King of Kings will return to this earth. And Peter said in verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. One message preached in the whole Bible. And so here in Revelation, the 21st chapter, John saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down from, from heaven. He says, I saw, I look and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth was passed away. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Now that holy city, New Jerusalem, you go home, here's our assignment. You find out what that holy city, New Jerusalem, is about. I'll give you a little hint. In verse 9, came to pass, one of the seven angels came with me that had the seven vows and talked with me saying, come hither and I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. The bride, the lamb's wife. And what he took me and showed me, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. See, the holy city, New Jerusalem, is the bride of Christ. It's the administration of Christ coming back to govern with him. It's not a literal city. It's not a literal, it's not a literal uh, uh, um, city coming down from God. It's a spiritual administration. And there'd be a temple built. It says, verse 22, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. You tell me what that means. You mean that God will break up himself in little pieces and make a temple? Or he is the temple because the Jerusalem is made up. The new Jerusalem is his staff. And the spirit of God will be so interwoven in the lives of 144,000 overcomers. They will have the Father's name written in their forehead. But more than that, they'll have the life of God because they'll be given immortality. And when that happens, here is what happens. Verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears. There'll be a kingdom coming when all tears will be wiped away. And there will be no more death. Ends. You don't need a will at that day. It's done. Death is done away with. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. When the, when the heavens is passed away, it means demonic powers are gone. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. When this earth is transformed, it means that human government ceases to exist. And God's government shall take control of this planet and this earth. It says, and he that sat upon the throne says, behold, I make all things new. It's not going to be the old system, a democracy. It's going to be a theocracy. Communism would be ended. Socialism would be ended. Democracy would be ended. Politics that are controlled by humans, what humans would be ended. And he says, John said, I heard, he said, it is done because I'm Alpha. I'm the start and I'm the finish. Who is speaking here? Jesus is speaking. He says, anyone that's a thirst, come to the fountain of water of life freely. And he that overcome it, he that overcome it, shall inherit not a bank account, not a house in a nice part of town, but ye shall inherit all things because Christ is given all things. And if you're part of his administration, spiritually married to him, what the husband owns, the bride owns, you become joint heirs with Christ and inherit all things. What a promise. So let the politicians today be the politicians. We are praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord Jesus, even so, come quickly. Let us pray. Father, we thank you tonight for another night in your house. 
We ask your blessing, O oh Father, in this message tonight, that you would challenge our lives to live for you, to understand that human governments can never have a perfect government and a perfect order. Lord, we have to understand that when you give us human governments, it's our, it's our responsibility to be submissive to authorities that are in the world, as long as their demands is not to violate your commandments in our lives. Help us, O oh Father, if that ever comes, that we are forced to make a decision. Lord, we'll only serve you until, uh, Lord, we die. Faithful unto the end. Help us today, Father. Bless our hearts, we pray. Challenge our lives, we pray. In Jesus' wonderful name, we ask it. And for his glory, amen and amen.